You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. Hello, this is the RUV English podcast. My name is Darren Adam. Thank you very much for your time and welcome to an episode of the Week in Iceland, which continues as part of the new RUV English podcast service. And my guest today is Björn Malmquist, who is a foreign correspondent here at RUV. Björn, great to talk to you. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for the invite, Darren. It's great to talk and we will... Uh, discuss something else that we're going to bring to the podcast at the end of this episode. But of course, as the name suggests, we review the week in Iceland first. And I guess we start as we might often have to do in the months of January or February, which we're now into, of course, with the weather. And we're sitting here at what, just after 11 o'clock in the morning on Tuesday morning. And we're in the capital, of course, we are in Reykjavik. The storm has passed over the capital, but it is definitely making its presence felt in the rest of the country, isn't it? Oh, yes, it will. And it will be uh, during the day. I mean, this was a quick and easy, well, relatively easy storm here in Reykjavik this morning. Uh, I think it passed over in about an hour or so. Yeah. Uh, now it's heading to the west coast and then later to the north and the east. By the time people hear this, it's probably going to it's probably gonna be over or somewhere way northeast of Iceland. But mm. uh, it's, you know, it's one of those lows that pass over us. Uh, very often at yeah. this time of year, with the you know you know with the ensuing snow and wind, it's you know the speed was pretty incredible because I went to the gym this morning. You can probably tell, of uh, course, yeah. Uh, and so I was there <laughs> there for about an hour, and I parked in the middle of a storm. And when I came back out again, it was still a bit windy, and there was some almost sleet, I would say. But the contrast between the blizzard at 7.30 in the morning and the sort of mildly wintry conditions an hour later was, was pretty extreme. Well, you know the old cliche about the weather in Iceland, mm. right? If you don't like it, just wait for a couple of minutes. Yes. <laughs> and it's going to change. Well, I, I've tried to sell this to people, but they've said, I'm fed up waiting. <laughs> I want it to change now. But anyway, now this has had consequences, of course, in all kinds of ways. Most obviously, I guess, and this would be true of an island nation anyway, people trying to get to and from Iceland. If we think back to December of last year, a couple of months ago now, we heard this week what the head of Iceland Air said about that storm, which shut the main road to and from the airport, Route 41, that goes from the, the, the capital out to Keplavik and back again. Of course, it serves lots of other areas as well, we should say. But the cost of that to Iceland Air, when the road closed and people were stranded at the airport, a billion kroner. Yeah, are. that's a lot of money. Uh, they were quite aggravated i think the airlines not just era you know not just icelander but everybody else because mm. because the uh, because they said you know as they rightly pointed out you know the airport was open pretty yeah. much the whole time yeah. during the storm but it was just that the road had been closed um and it had been closed for a good reason obviously i mean there was i mean the weather was really really bad uh, the problem was with, uh, you know, with the road service, um, you know, it, it, it just came out that, you know, that the roads authority wasn't equipped well enough to maintain uh, the service on the roads. Mm. Number two, uh, there were numerous cars that whose owners had sort of just given up and abandoned yeah. them on the side of the road or even on the road, making, you know, making the clearance of the road really, really difficult. So uh, I I guess, you know, what, but, you know, the good thing that came out of this was that uh, the, you know, the uh, the government sort of 
reacted in a yeah. way. They 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 put together a committee to look at ways to 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 improve this situation. Mm. And uh, you know, we wrote a lot about this uh, in December and January. Yeah. So they came up with a number of sort of uh, things to improve the situation, including. <laughs> I guess, allowing the roads authority to remove cars from the roads. Yes, and that would have been a big problem. I think we've all seen those images of cars which were almost completely covered in snow, abandoned, not unreasonably, perhaps, exactly, by, yeah. by their owners, by their drivers. But there wasn't a plan in place. There wasn't permission then uh, for Vigagethin, for the road administration, to actually remove these cars. Exactly. Now, now they've got that authority, or they, will have that. Uh, yeah, they will yeah. have that. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those problems in Iceland that we don't really solve the problems until they sort of hit <laughs> us in the face. And people should have realised this a long time ago. Yeah, I don't think that's unique to Iceland, unfortunately. Well, maybe not. <laughs> but what is perhaps unique to Iceland is that, is that this road between Reykjavik and Keplavik Airport is the main is not the main road. It's pra it's practically the only road, yeah. unless you want to drive like extra 200 kilometers on a road that's not nearly as good as this yeah. one. This is the only double lane sort of highway-ish highway in Iceland. And it's uh, it's a vital road for the traffic between the airport and, and yeah. Keplavik. And, you know, millions of people drive here every every year. You but, know? I mean, a couple of weeks before this storm, there was a closure, I think, in one direction on that road for roadworks. And the diversion went... To, uh, down towards the south coast and along, and then back up again. So, yeah, the, the, yeah. The, I mean, is that the is that the plan to have that as a diversion route? Because you imagine that if if Route Forty One, if that main road is going to be affected by the weather, then so is every other smaller road. True, true. But if you have a situation which is sort of localized, yeah, and yeah, just maybe, affecting yeah. for, and the Route Forty One, you can go to the east from Reykjavik and then down to the coast, and then uh, you know westwards along the south coast along to the airport, but mm. that's like, what, 250, 300 kilometers. And that's a single lane road, or I mean, a double lane road. Yeah. Uh, and doesn't carry really the traffic that you can see on Route 41 uh, practically every day, especially during the high season of tourism. Yeah. It's going to be a shock for the people of Grindavik, isn't it, if all of that traffic suddenly starts coming through? Yeah, they're not going to be happy. Coming through their time. But, but, you know, also keep in mind that, you know, we talked about this during the eruptions uh, in, in, in 2020 and 21. Uh, I'm sorry, 21, 22. Yeah. When, uh, when there was a f at least a theoretical possibility of lava streaming over that road. Mm, mm. So, you know, you also have that problem. <laughs> I mean, the casual observer might say, why is the airport there? <laughs> why is the international airport at the... Great question. Long story. <laughs> we can go into it another time. <laughs> I, I, would I would like to at some point. Not least, I mean, there's a serious side to that because there's a conversation, as there has been for a long time, about essentially getting rid of the domestic airport in the centre of, of Reykjavik, and lots True. of flights have already transferred to Keplavik from True. there, haven't they? So yeah. there's well, even more pressure on Keplavik. It's a long story that starts in the Second World War. Let's leave it at that. All right, well, we'll, we'll pause, <laughs> pause that conversation and move on to... Uh, and, and this really is something which may well have changed, I don't know, by the time we finish this sentence, potentially. But we'll, we'll do the best, given that, as I say, it's a little after 11 o'clock on Tuesday morning, the latest that we have on the... Never-ending wage dispute, it seems, between Epling and SA. 9.30 this morning, just a couple of hours ago, relative to where we are recording. Um, Epling did not turn up for the meeting that was called by the state mediator. Mm -hmm. SA did. So w with that caveat in place, wh where, are, where are we on this and where do you think it's going to go next? Well, there's going to be a strike. 
uh, that's been accepted now by the members of the Applink uh, uh, union. Mm. Uh, so these are these are mostly uh, lowly paid service workers uh, in hotels that are going on strike. That's the first group. Uh, so that that has been uh, so they said yes to that. So they're going to go on strike. In the meantime, uh, the uh, the you know the state official that handles uh, labor uh, disputes, he he had a small victory in court. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Mm. Then when when it's getting so complicated, but basically he put out uh, a mediation agreement uh, or proposal for the members of the union, Appling Union, uh, basically saying you can take the deal that was offered to everybody else. What uh, a month ago, mm. uh, plus uh, some other caveats, and uh, so he wanted to put it to vote uh, yeah. among the members of Applink. Applink said, "We're not going to give you the list of members to send the proposal to," and so they went to court. Yeah. And, uh, and, that, and that list of members—that's like the electoral roll, isn't it? So you can't yes. have the vote unless you've got the the names of the the voters. That's the, the essence of, of it. Yeah, 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 exactly. So the court said, "You got to give the dispute resolver uh, the list." Appling, the union said, no, we're not going to do that. They went to court. The judge said, well, you got to give him the list. And now Appling is uh, is appealing to another court uh, that this yes. decision from yesterday, so they're not going to give up. So we might actually have a situation in which they will be on a strike and voting for uh, yeah. the, uh, the, the mediation proposal at the same time. But here's the other twist, because this was the district court that ruled against Epling and said, you've got to hand over this document, this file, which they are now appealing to a different court. Mm -hmm. On top of that, also yesterday, you had the social court, which deals with labour laws and labour disputes, saying that despite all of this other stuff, Epling strike action is in fact legal. It is legal. So yeah. we've got these, and I, I kind of framed this yesterday as, as a, a, a day of mixed results for both sides, really. Of course, of course. These are, uh, you, know, you know, losses and victories. Uh, yeah. But, you know, these courts are completely separate yeah. entities yeah. in the Icelandic legal system. So the social court isn't really a legal court. It's more like a court to settle. Well, it's it, it has to do with laws, mm. but it's not a court in the court system, in the justice system. It's basically a separate court that, that yeah. sort of settles disputes within the labour uh, 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 yes, but but if we count that, there are now three courts in play because you've got the district court, which ruled against Epling, and you've got the the national court to which Epling are appealing on the membership list issue. Exactly, is that right? Yeah, yeah that, that pretty much sums it up. One, and at the same time, practically every other union yeah. in the country, or well, not everyone, but but most of them have already settled on a contract with the SA, with the with the uh, employers association, yeah. uh, which. Is which is basically a party, you know, which is basically the sort of the big party on the on the private market. So they have they have practically all settled with the SA, yeah. except Eplink. They are the lone standout, and that's the battle that they are now now fighting uh, on 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 various fronts. Well, I think we have summed that up quite well, um, at least at time of going to press, as well, yeah. they say, because this is a, <laughs> a fast-moving situation with only many moving parts and a very complex situation as well. And, of course, coverage of that continues here on Roof and, and Roof English, as you would expect. Now, let's go back to the end of last week, a, a very controversial story on Friday, and I suspect it's going to remain controversial. This is the plan to sell the Icelandic Coast Guard rescue and surveillance plane um, known as TF-SIF, because yeah. that's its code number, TF-S. 
IF. And the, the, the reason for this or the reason that's been given is that the Coast Guard is in, you know, the Coast Guard as an organisation is in difficulty financially and that this would raise money. But the opposition to this seems to be coming from all quarters, including the Coast Guard. Practically from everybody, uh, not just the Coast Guard. We, you have uh, geoscientists who have been benefiting, you know, from the plane during uh, during eruptions. You have the sailors. You know, you have uh, you know various kinds of people whose whose lives depend on on on, on having uh, having the Coast Guard properly equipped uh, with surveillance and 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 rescue missions. Plus, you have political you know opposition, mm, which is not mm. uh, the least important uh, part of all of this. Uh, what people are sort of I mean, the background to this is that you know this plane came came to the Coast Guard. I think about ten years ago, or more than ten years ago, probably around nine thousand two thousand eight two thousand nine, mm. and it was kind of a revolution uh, for the for the Coast Guard. But we always knew it was expensive. So for most of the last what six seven years, I want to say, mm. this plane hasn't really been in Iceland. It's been rented out to an organization called Frontex, yeah. which uh, surveils the 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 borders of the Schengen area. You know the Schengen, yeah, of which uh, Iceland is part, of which we are part, and and all of Europe practically. So it's been flying around in the Mediterranean, uh, you know, looking for smugglers, uh, surveilling uh, migratory patterns, uh, you know, migrants coming from Africa and and from Asia to Europe. So it's been rented out there, and mm. that was the way the Coast Guard was able to keep it running. You know, we we they had to get some money for the uses of this uh, of this mm -hmm. plane. In recent in the in the last two or three years, this renting out of the plane has practically dried up. So uh, it's become a burden on on the Coast Guard. Obviously, it costs mm. a lot of money to run this plane, uh, but it's hugely useful, and and the the. And the opposition to the plans to sell it are, to a part, in my understanding, they are partly political. And they are also objecting to the way the minister sort of presented this. Mm. Oh, this was, is the Minister of Justice, isn't it? Is that yes, right? Yes, yeah. it's the Minister yeah. of Justice who yeah. controls, whose, whose brief is, among others, uh, the Coast Guard. Yeah. And so they're objecting to the way he presented this issue first in the government and then sort of not really in the parliament. So the parliament stepped in, as, as, as you wrote about in your story, um, uh, what, three days, uh, four days ago? Yeah, so the parliament week. stepped in. They called the minister. They called the chief of the, of the Coast Guard. They are now deliberating. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they're going to come up with some money to to save in in quotation marks uh, the plane. We'll see. But again, looking at the opposition within Parliament, you've got the chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee. You've also got the chair of the Budget Committee. But you've also got, and this might be surprising, the Minister of Infrastructure, <laughs> who also thinks a review should be needed as well. Now, you, you know, a lot of people might think that something like this falls under the remit of infrastructure rather than, than justice, but as we explained, it doesn't. So you've got the Justice Minister instructing the Coast Guard to sell the plane or make preparations to sell the plane. Yep. But then you've got the Minister of Infrastructure, who is in the same coalition, coalition government, government as, not, well, not the, uh, yeah. as well as the chair of the foreign committee who is <laughs> yeah. like really angry about this yes <laughs> and, and he the minister of infrastructure is 
saying he heard about the sale in the media and thinks a review must be needed. So, which backs the question: Was like, wasn't he listening during a <laughs> you know during a meeting of the government? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, or maybe maybe this wasn't raised in in the way that he wanted it to be. But but you you've got now pretty much you know I think it's fair to say widespread opposition to this. Do you think there is going to be a review? Then there's going to be some. Oh, there's going to be a review. And there are those who say, I'm not the one who's saying it, but there are those who say that the Minister of Justice was just playing a game uh, in order to save the plane, actually. So he was sort of of sending up a trial balloon, uh, (laughs) getting some reaction, (laughs) and then sort of... uh, Slowly but surely, finding money somewhere to right. uh, to to keep it running. We so shall we shall see. So that theory, which is advanced by some, uh, would be that at some point he will point to all those opposition and say, "See, this is why we can't do it." Well, uh, something like that. Yeah. But you know, this you know this kind of game has been played before, both here in Iceland and elsewhere. I suspect. All right. Uh, when I first came to Iceland in 1998, I went to Gezir as many tourists do, mm-hmm. which I was then and went to Goodfoss. And I was amazed then in 1998 that I was able to stand in the gift shop, I think, at Gizir and make a mobile phone call. We turn to a, a final story this week, which concerns the mobile phone coverage, which is at a dangerously poor level in parts of West Iceland. There is a plan in place to assess how easy or otherwise it is to make mobile phone calls in the west of Iceland. And I, I imagine that there are many parts of the country, just because of the geography, the difficulty of getting signals around mountains, where mobile phone coverage will, will not be as as pleasantly surprising as it was for me in Gezir all those years ago. No, it's not. And it still isn't uh, in many places in the country. I just drove around Iceland uh, mm. uh, around Christmas, uh, went to south coast, east coast, north coast, and then back home. Uh, and there were spots, there's, I mean, there are still spots on the ring road, which is the main road around the island, where you have limited to none mm, uh, mm. mobile connection, which is really, really bad. Uh, the story that you wrote uh, was about the, the, you know, the western part of Iceland. There are still many spots there. Uh, so basically what happened is that, you know, when we abandoned the old NMT system, uh, which used to be uh, like a mobile phone system mm. back in the day, back in the, uh, the noughts and the... In the 90s, uh, you know, you had you had connections everywhere, like everywhere, because that was a you know a different kind of system. Now we have the the GSM, the the regular mobile phones, mm. and so uh, the phone companies here have been sort of you know switching out the the transmitters and the receivers all around yeah. the country, and the main emphasis during those years was to ensure coverage on the main road, on the ring road. Right, uh, and then sort of slowly expanded all mm. over the place, and it is in many places of the country, in, in many parts of the country, it's a very decent connection. Mm. Uh, mm. But there are spots still uh, that people have been pointing out, even on the ring road, and so we still have a way to go in in really covering this. And this is also, yeah. I mean, it's not just a, a convenience; it's a it's a huge security issue in this country. No, and this and this is important because it's not about data. We're not talking about people having access to Instagram to update no, no, their no. page or their feeds. This is about basic mobile phone coverage. So in an emergency, you can call 112 and get yourself out of difficulty. Even that facility doesn't exist in some places. Some spots, 
it doesn't exist. So like three years ago, we had some 2.4 million people come mm. visit in Iceland uh, uh, that year. And, uh, and you, you know, you have people going all over the country, not just on the ring road, but also on the off roads, also hiking uh, in places where there is real danger, mm. uh, real danger, for example, of volcanic activity. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, the civil uh, protection authorities, they have been uh, they have been constructing a system where they can send, uh, you know, messages to phones in certain areas to warn people. For example, if Hekla, you know, the most mm. famous volcano mm. goes off and it tends to go off with very little notice, uh, they've been able to send messages to phones in that area. But. You know, if you don't have the coverage, you won't receive the messages. Well, this is a plan then to assess, as I say, just how easy or hard it is to make mobile phone calls in the West. The West Iceland Regional Office, which is led by Paul Brynjason, says there are many places that are mobile black spots. And by the beginning of May, the results of this audit should be available. And I think that's on the principle that the first thing you need to do if you are going to fix a problem is work out the size of it. Obviously, just like the road to Keflavik Airport, right? (laughs) And I would also say, uh, this is uh, from Einar Rafsson, what a stunning photo that illustrates this particular story. This is from somewhere in the west of Iceland of a mobile communication tower. Yeah. Uh, I think you've got it in black. I should have printed that in colour for you. But it's absolutely <laughs> gorgeous, isn't it? Well, it's a very typical picture for, from Iceland in the winter. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously you can see the mast up there. It's yeah. been just been hammered okay. with, with snow and, and frost over the last probably weeks and months. Mm. So you, you, you can see the mast probably has ice as thick as probably, you know, 15, 20 centimetres yeah. across uh, across it. It's a beautiful picture, by the way. It, it really is staggering. It's so staggering, even my Siri decided to uh, join in and <laughs> try to comment there. So apologies for that. You can't argue with Siri, can no, you? No, well, there's obviously no problem with mobile coverage in this studio, obviously is there, if Siri is deciding to, to pipe up. Okay, I want to turn now to something that we're going to do on the Roof English podcast service from time to time, and we'll do this tomorrow. So if you're listening on Tuesday, it'll be the podcast that appears on Wednesday, but of course they're all available for you to catch up on and listen to at any time. You are a foreign correspondent here at Roof, Björn, and, and one, of your, one of your tasks, one of your roles is to appear on the programme Heimskvider, which is the the news that comes from the foreign desk. It's all the news produced by Ruve about things that don't happen in Iceland, essentially. Right, yeah, exactly. So Heimskvider is a, is, a, is a very old Icelandic word. could mean something like sounds from the, from the world or something like that. So it's basically uh, we, every week we, we have two subjects that we sort of, that we sort of dive into. Mm. And, uh, and so one of them tends to be sort of somewhat current affairs. The other one is, is uh, the other one tends to be something funny, something curious. Like, uh, let me give you an example. Last Saturday, we had a we had a twenty minute story about the Lego toys that were you know originally invented in Denmark, mm. and everybody mm. in Iceland has one of those. I, I think everybody in the world. <laughs> you think even I did? Yes. Uh, All probably. the pieces have been lost by now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, and the other one was uh, was a story that I did on Turkey. Uh, obviously, before the this terrible events that that are now happening in Turkey. Yes. So it was about the political situation in Turkey and the upcoming elections uh, in May. And so tomorrow, 
on that podcast, and, and this is what I say about us occasionally bringing this to you, the interviews that you record are in English. Many of them yeah. are in English. The ones that are in English, they're not broadcast in English. They are dubbed when they're broadcast here in Iceland. So this will be a chance to let people hear some of the material that might not otherwise be heard, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been... It's, you know, it's you can hear the interview, but we have this obligation being the state broadcaster uh, in a country with a specific language that needs to be sort of, uh, well, not protected, but at least enhanced. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we we need to we need to we need to translate everything that we broadcast in foreign languages, which basically means that uh, like when I do interviews with somebody in English, I will need to sort of dub or have somebody dub over it in Icelandic so that people understand. I mean, practically everybody here speaks English, right? But we have this obligation to do this and we completely accept this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, from time to time, we do interviews with notable people that have something really interesting to say and they will say it in English. And so we don't and we haven't really had the chance to sort of share those interviews in in their original forms with with people who want to hear them in that way. Let me just say a few words about uh, the interview tomorrow. Yes. It's it's with a uh, it's with a woman uh, who used to be uh, a CNN reporter in Turkey. She is now an analyst with the Brookings Institute in Washington, and uh, she writes for the Washington Post. Uh, she's really really well known in Turkey. Uh, her name is Asli, and uh, she has a lot to say about Erdogan, the the president of Turkey, the upcoming elections, uh, the opposition, which is now sort of consolidating its platform and uh, probably will be coming up with the candidate in the presidential election in May mm. uh, against Erdogan. This might be his last stand. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Obviously, these terrible events in Turkey now, they, they're probably going to change that dynamic yeah. to a certain extent. And the conversation you had with Asli was recorded before the earthquake yes, strike, wasn't it? it was last yeah. week. Yeah. Okay, so that will be on the podcast in very short order indeed. Björn, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I know you've appeared on The Week in Iceland, uh, which is now a strand of the Roof English podcast service before, and uh, I can tempt you back into the studio at some point in the future, I've no doubt. Whenever you want, Darren. All right, thank you, Bern. Thanks very much for that. We'll play it today uh, with a piece of music as ever. This is Marta Kristin Friedrich's daughter with a song that translates as You Are Never Alone, through et Aldrei En. This is a song with a few guest performances, Carl Ogerson, Oliver Holm Einarsson, Robert Thorhalsen, and Helga Thora Bjornvindsdottir all appearing on this from Marta Kristin Friedrichsdottir on the Ruve English podcast. By the way, get in touch anytime. The email address is english at ruv.is.
you are listening to the Roof English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is/english.